Part two, baby! All right. No, I don't know. I'd always get recognized on the street, but they always thought I went to high school with them. Mm. You know, it was like they didn't know where they knew me from because commercials are supposed to be a little bit subliminal. Right. Uh, but something in their brain made them say, I met this guy. <laughs> Somewhere, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was interesting because, I mean, you said you were in commercials, and then I'm like, okay, he was in commercials. But then it's different knowing that and then seeing like, oh, this is a McDonald's ad. Oh, this is, wait a minute, I'm taking that painkiller yesterday. You know, it's just, right. it's just kind of strange. They're just like, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, it, I guess you guys are some of the first people I've met who, um, when you say it, you actually mean it? I don't know if that makes it sound bad. Well, we're not padding our resume. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, what's interesting, too, you know, just kind of getting back to improv, is, is that that actually helped me get commercials. Hmm. Because, as I learned when I was director of, of television shows, you are always looking for the person to walk in the room so you can tell, say, tell the rest of them to go home. Well, the same thing is true of commercials. Different style of acting and a different uh, setup. But if you can give them a little, most commercials last about 23.7 seconds. I'm sorry, 27.3 seconds. And then they start fading to black to lead into the show or the next commercial. Uh, so around that 25 second mark, if you can do something facially or verbally that the producers go, we didn't think of that. Let's hire that guy. A face, a word, an expression, a body language, something like that. If you can put that in at the end of a commercial as it's fading out, that makes people remember those commercials, they hire you. And or was, they hire oh, somebody else oh, to said, do what you did. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, eventually they got wise to the fact that, well, just tell them what the other guy did. <laughs> but uh, that. That's, that really helped. It really came from improv. Just you know, being able to think on your feet and just make stuff up became profitable. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think we don't call it that, but I think that um, almost all these other art styles, they're trying to emulate that. Like when I, the best jokes when you're doing stand-up is when the audience thinks that you're saying it on the spot, right? Absolutely. Or just like, and in, even they actually do call it improv when someone's acting in a movie and they're like, oh, he improvised that line. Right. right? That's if they don't have good writers. That's true. A lot hmm. of it is improvised. But sometimes it's written by writers who, who, are great. who know impro improvisation. Yeah. Well, also, they came up with the line. Also, uh, working in uh, MTM, which was the Mary Tyler Moore studio, the writers were so brilliant. I mean, Jim Brooks, who's written a lot of movies and is an incredible, comedic, wonderful writer, uh, no improv was necessary because the writing was so specifically wonderful. We don't always have that in television, mm. you know. So it is there. Mm. I mean, uh, working for Gary Marshall, I did many series series for him. He loved when we improvised. So tell us more about the research that you've done. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear it. Um, I. What else have we done? <laughs> well, let's hear from him. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd love to. Maybe we can turn into some of the directing you've done, Ernie. I think. Uh, that's that was something that fascinated me a lot is because you I knew you had directed like some commercials and stuff but I mean I have you listed for saying uh, like you did an episode of Friends yeah is that true did that I've done uh, Growing Pains I've done it it was it was a an odd start 
it was it was kind of when I'd start getting into directors uh, directing television because I would follow directors around and learn how they did it. Uh, some of them had directed me in sitcoms. Uh, some of them were just good friends or directed Karen in sitcoms, so we sort of knew them. Um, and I, when I started actually trying to get a job as a director, the director strike hit. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you couldn't work for like six months until they settled the, uh, the, the, the contracts. strike. Yeah, yeah. the contracts. And uh, I just basically got in and, and got at the end of a couple of seasons of things like Growing Pains and uh, Gary, Shandling. And Gary Shandling Show and Head of the Class and stuff. And it was really, it was one of those things that you sort of remember through your life. I directed a show called Throb, which was a syndicated show back then. That's before they had lots of channels and all of a sudden the radio, the television stations were grouping together to create their own products. And they did a lot of sitcoms that weren't on network, they were actually local uh, with, with big stars. And the, my first directing job I got, I remember doing the, you spend five days doing a show, prepping it, getting it all up, shooting it, putting it in the can, and then you drive home. And when I drove home for the, from the first time of directing, I felt so good in the car. It was like my whole body just settled in. I said, this is what I can do really well. Mm. And I went and directed, you know, even in Growing Pains, uh, Joanna Pettit, who played the wife on the show, said, where have you been all our lives? Joanna Kearns, you mean? Joanna Kearns, excuse me. Uh, where have you been all our lives? It became really a, a, a wonderful way to uh, to interact with people. Of course, sometimes you're dealing with stars who basically don't want you to tell them what to do because they've been doing it for four or five years already on the show. So you have to sort of play middleman between the writers and the uh, and the actors and try to make them feel as comfortable as they possibly can. And it's it's great fun. I. I that's why I like directing uh, without a thin air. That's why I liked helping direct uh, War Babies. Uh, there's a very naturalness to it that I like uh, actually better than acting. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think you do. I, I see that, that you do. And also the greatest thing that an actor <laughs> wants in doing television or film is to be with a director who used to be an actor. It's fantastic because they're so sensitive to what the actor would be thinking. And you get to talk about, okay, we know that I have to move from one light to another in this scene, but they walk you through it several times for technical reasons. And when you have somebody who's directing you who has been an actor, it's completely different. Completely. It's true. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it really is a wonderful feeling to be able to see the picture and see how you can make it better for everybody. I, one thing, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what a director actually does. And I, I don't know if you could, I've never actually been around a director to clarify that. It's very different, you a director a, on television. Yeah. A director in a film has the most power. A director on television, the most power goes to the writers and producers. You're, so a, you're a hired gun. Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. very different. I mean, it's not that it isn't fun and great, but you know, really, if you're doing a feature film, 
it's profoundly more powerful. Yeah, and then when you're doing a play, it's even more uh, personal because you everything has to be done basically in one take. You know, that's an evening of theater, is uh, and you've got to make sure that everything works. It, 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 like acting is different when you're doing a commercial or doing a TV show or doing a theater. It's a different style of the way you act. Same thing is true for a director. When you direct a stage or you direct TV, when you direct movies, totally different. The, the, the way you approach the work is, uh, is just different. When you're acting in a, on a stage, you're playing to the, to the back seat. When you're acting on television, the seat is right in front of your face, so everything has to be smaller. You can't play it, you can't do stage work on television. Or in movies. <laughs> or in movies, because the camera's right there. The microphone is just above your head. So the style of the way you act and the style of how you direct shifts depending on the medium that you're actually in. I can't even really imagine Anything else joke. I can teach you. <laughs> oh, you know what? I mean, <laughs> it's a good learning experience, right? I gotta, I gotta build that up. It, it's, it's great. It's great fun. The creative arts and, and acting and directing and singing. I used to be in folk music before that. Uh, had hit records, did Ed Sullivan shows. All of that was different ways of accumulating knowledge about how to perform on stage, how to satisfy an audience, and also satisfy the director and satisfy a producer who's putting in the money and to get the actors to work together. It's, it's pretty cool. I didn't really know that I was funny until I went into War Babies. I had a completely different focus in the high school performing arts and in Carnegie Mellon University. I mean, I, I loved theater, acting, uh, but until people started laughing at things that I was saying on stage or in rehearsal, I mean, you know, I thought my father was the funny one in the family, and then I realized, <laughs> you know what, I, I enjoy when people are smiling and laughing, and I think I'm going to stick with this for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you do improv or you do comedy on stage, you know immediately if you're doing a good job. Isn't that right, stand-up comedy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I, I hate, there's like two, there's two kinds of smiling that I notice, right? There's like the... There's like the genuine, I'm enjoying being around you smiling. Right. And there's the, oh my God, he's got six more minutes smiling. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it takes a second. Yeah. I've had some. Oh, I'm watching this man die. <laughs> How long do I have to keep his smile on my face? Oh. That's why, I mean, I'm always scared performing in front of uh, small, really small groups of people. Like, I don't like performing for less than five or six people, like auditions. You know, like that, those always make me nervous. Oh, no, four or five people is horrible. Yeah. Uh, especially, so especially, audi especially auditions. Yeah. I mean, doing auditions in front of five people is, is awful. I don't care what, whether you're on stage or TV or st doing stand-up. It's terrible. It must be hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm I, sure. I, did, I did about six months of stand-up comedy. Did you really? I went between folk music and acting. Hmm. Uh, and it was the hardest six minutes, you know, hardest six months of my life. I mean, you have to find a character that you can live with that the audience accepts. So it can't be too far off of who you are, except it is a little bit, but not too much, because you have to live with it. You but know, that's it, also it, true it's, of it's playing hard. a role in like a sitcom. You yeah. have to find a way to make it part of you, yeah. or uh, you're, you're being false. 
So you know, it may not be exactly what the writers had in mind, you know, in terms of how you're portraying it, but you have to find something that, God willing, you're on a show for a long time, you can consistently do. But there's something about doing stand-up where you are really naked and where you're really just opening your mouth and saying stuff you've written because you're not making it up. Uh, and you just hope to God that they're going to laugh. Uh, and, it's and if they don't, it's really personal. It's not like they can say, all right, let's take it back from the top and we'll shoot it again. Why don't you try doing this this time? You've already done it. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I, I feel very sorry for you, Lee. <laughs> I, I, think, I think about you every night. Oh, my God. Oh, is that what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's tough. It's really hard. When are we going to see you perform? Yeah, I mean, hopefully in the next few weeks. I've been putting it off, honestly. I've been a little... Whenever you take a, a Don't hiatus... Don't put it off. You get nervous. You've got to do it. Just get up there and do it. I'm sure, like, I don't know what it is. It's this weird break in, in like, how I think and what I'm doing. Right. Where it's, um, I know I'm funny. I know I can write. I'm not, like, you know, I'm, I'm 20. I'm not the best yet, but I'm no, okay, right? right? And uh, it's just this weird thing where, um, since I haven't done it live for about six months, maybe seven months... Mm -hmm. It's just feels impossible until I do it, and then it'll be the easiest thing. How do you do it when you're home? Do you stand in front of a mirror, or do you just kind of stand in your living room and, and deliver what you've written to yourself? Yeah. Well, usually what happens is uh, I'll, be, I'll be walking around. Usually when I'm moving, it starts going. Yes. And I'll, um, I'll, I'll just say something myself that's funny, and then all of a sudden I'm just excitedly pacing, nice. writing, whatever. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's really just probably in my living room. Have you performed like, for your family? Yeah, I do sometimes. Do I'm they, trying to get more into that. Do they think you're fun? They are a tough audience sometimes. <laughs> my mom, so, but, but it's good because so my mom will smile at me, but she almost she, it doesn't even if it's funny she won't even laugh. But it's got to be like amazing. Mm -hmm. But that's how I know I've got a great joke. If I can make my mom laugh, well, how funny! It's like the best joke I've ever written. You right. know? God so, please your mom. Thank yeah. God for moms. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely I'm going to push myself to try and do something live within two weeks. Good. All right. And we'll be there. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Guys. Absolutely. I, 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 I love to watch comics work and, and, and discover who they are uh, while they're doing it because you really are sort of discovering. Uh, boy, I, I just felt it was like pulling teeth when I was doing it. It's interesting, though, because I feel like the best lines I've ever done have been improvised. Like even in doing stand-up. Right. Like um, when I did, I did my first club set last summer. And it, was, it wasn't even funny. It doesn't have to be funny for that to be the best laugh you get that night. That's something that I didn't right. know. Yeah. Like, um, I, I'm doing my set, and everybody that night had done a bit about clam chowder, which was weird. It was like a strange really? thing. Really? This was like a running yeah. joke through the Yeah, everybody was community. doing, I don't know what it was. Like, four, I hadn't met any of the comics that night, but I go in, it's a contest, everyone's doing five minutes. And there's clam chowder three, jokes. Yes, happening. three guys before me do clam chowder jokes. Wow! And I know I have a clam chowder joke, so <laughs> it's messing me up. Wow. Um, but it was the first time I improvised doing stand up as I got up there, and when I got to my bit about clam chowder, I'm like, which seems to be a popular theme tonight. And it's not that that's hilarious or anything, but everyone is just like, whoa, he knows, right. like he's involved, making a connection. And it was one of the best laughs I got just because yeah. of that. Yeah, that's that's the famous comeback. Uh, right. the, the go back you know if you can reference something that's previously happened 
Right. You usually get a pretty good laugh. But that's, you know, that, I mean, that's a way that you can learn to connect to the audience. Never be afraid, as an improv, to connect with them and see what, see what develops. Yeah. See, see what funny uh, line of thought that comes from somebody's mouth. And you have to remember that you're harder on yourself than anybody well, right. who's yeah, watching you. Really. In, in the car home after doing a performance or a class, you know, your brain is just going, I could have said this, I should have said that. You, believe me, these people are thinking about how they have to go to work the next morning and all kinds of things. So maybe that can give you a little bit of distance from your nervousness. I think well, right. I mean, that was so evident to me. Even when you're saying that, I'm thinking about how I saw this clip of me performing, right? And Uh-oh. and no, but but it's like it's not it's it's actually a reverse, right? Which is when I remember that performance, I remember doing terribly, right? Ah. But I listen to the clip and I hear them laughing because it's someone recording me ah, from the crowd. Good. And like I I remember feeling so terrible after the performance, but I'm like, oh, I'm like, wait a minute, it really was just me. Like I was really just getting in my head about it. And it's interesting when that it's happens. Not a, it's that's not the a safe voice. Place. That's that voice in your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. That keeps yeah. me yeah. telling you to forget yeah. about it. <laughs> or, you know, on a psychological note, do I deserve this? You know, am I actually deserving and worthy of this? Which right. Rennie was talking about that he thought he was not handsome enough or, you know, not tall enough or whatever it is. And we really have to let that go. Mm-hmm. And that's how we can embrace characters if we let that go. If we're stuck in that, in our head, then we're not able to really join forces with anybody that you're working with. Yeah. So, including the audience. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely an area I would love to uh, add in more. I'd love to be somebody who interacted a little bit more with the audience. Let's see. One thing I was interested about that there's not much information out there, but I was curious about your transition, Karen, from, uh, from just doing acting and improv into going back to school and learning about psychology? Yeah, I, I, thanks for bringing that up. I was uh, really enjoying working as an actor. And then it was right before kind of like the Me Too movement where I just thought, I'm going to take some time off. And uh, we had a son coming from Korea. We adopted a son from Korea. And I just thought, I really would like to go back to school. I mean, there's a part of me that... I would say to my children, school is like gymnastics for the brain. It's really fun. And, you know, I didn't have that much opportunity to uh, do, you know, there was no TED Talks then or anything like that. But I went back to school, and I have a mentor. His name is Deepak Chopra. I don't know. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I have. We had that conversation. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, and he was life-changing in so many ways. And I started working and I really loved it and then when I was done after um, I don't know 12 years or something I was done and I made sure that I referred people out to other people and then we moved to Bend and I said you know I'm gonna go back to acting now so it was I love I love being a therapist it was and talk about improv I mean when you're talking to people and your paradigm is unusual from anything that they might have known before Rennie would say when I close up the office and come back for dinner, he'd say, how'd it go? And I said, really well. I'm still the most screwed up person in the group. <laughs> so, but I loved it. And I'm really glad I took the break. And I'm really glad. And right now, the, uh, the attention of our careers was that uh, we're, uh, we're doing con- conventions 
for you know the eighties. Uh, oh, get a, get a load of this, Liam. We love go this. we go to different places. Like we're going to Hollywood in October, and some of them are in Europe and all that. And there's thousands of people. It's kind of like Comic Con, hmm. but it's for you know actors. It's for yeah. actors to sign autographs on pictures of themselves. <laughs> and there's like lines and you know we, I've done one in, in LA before we moved here. Yeah. And uh, you know they, they pay you a shitload of money and basically uh, you, you're just being yourself so it's really easy. You know it's mm. easier than improv. It's really <laughs> easy. And you're in this you know cacophony of people who have all been invisible to you in different stages of their life in terms of acting. So we're going to New York. No, no, I'm sorry. We're going to Hollywood, which is a nice return trip for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, originally it was uh, going to be in July, but that didn't work out. So, you know, they're, they're big and, and boisterous, and I think it'll be really fun. Yeah, that sounds super cool. Yeah. And we'll see a lot of old friends. Too. Right. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, yeah and they pay for us to go. Wow. Yeah, so, <laughs> How cool is yeah, that? Yeah, that is really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is, is that the main... So. I know it was a joke, but I'm also curious. So, like, what what is the... Yeah, like, what do people do there? Is it just... Um, they kibitz. Do you know what kibitz yeah. means? You have to be Yiddish to you know kibitz. You know, they talk back and forth, and, of course, people are going to bring their own pictures, you can imagine. Right. So there'll be a my tutor group, you know, just standing oh, okay. there. Yeah. And uh, it's really fun, because everybody's really funny, and everybody has a good sense of humor, and the people that come, they know as much as you know from doing the research. They mm. know a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, they know a lot of stuff. Uh, about you. The last, the last time Rennie and I did one in, in Hollywood, Rennie made these mugs for me to give out, and or you to give out, and it, it said, je t'aime, I shouldn't je say no, I no, said, no. je t'aime, and then there was a picture of me, and people were buying them. We still have like 150 in our garage. <laughs> yeah, we ought, to, we ought to have brought one for you. Yeah, we'll give you one. We'll give you one. Absolutely. And when you have your coffee or tea, yeah. think of me. You'll have a pillow <laughs> of Karen on your coffee. Uh, no, they're, they're just, it's, it's fun to, I mean, we sat, the last one, we sat between Peter Marshall from Hollywood Squares and Lee Meredith, who was Batwoman in the first, you know, uh, Batman uh, TV show and Shirley Jones was there and all the guys from Happy Days that we knew were there and you know you're just running around you know meeting people and saying hi and how you doing and then when you're signing your pictures and stuff you know you're very nice people they want a picture of you so you you know you sign it you kibitz with them for it's like with the street improv mm. that I was teaching you you know you spend 30 seconds doing an improv with them and uh, then the next person steps up I do have all in the family. Well, hey, what about well, all actually, in the family? What's, what's, <laughs> what's really interesting is when, when Karen and I went out to Hollywood with War Babies and started auditioning for television shows, uh, the first show Karen did was Mary Tyler Moore, and the first show I did was a guest star spot on All in the Family. And we kept looking at each other saying, my God, look at this. We walk on to two of the best shows that have ever been on television. Uh, and here we are. And then we realized, well, the next show we do wasn't quite as good. <laughs> and everything else sort of went downhill from doing the best, you know, two TV shows that were ever written. Now, All in the Family was a, was a guy who played a draft dodger who has Christmas dinner with the bunkers. And uh, it was during the Vietnam War. And Archie did not take kindly to me when he found out that I was a draft dodger. 
Hmm. And uh, it was, it, the show won an Emmy. Uh, it's and, on every Christmas. And it's, yeah. it's on every wow. Christmas. I make, you know, at least 39 cents, you know, from residuals <laughs> that come pouring in. Yeah. Uh, and it was quite an experience. To them, it's a nine to five job. To me, I'm standing in the bunker living room going, oh my God, look who I'm working with. I got Rob Reiner, I got Sally Struthers, I got, you know, Carol O'Connor, all of them, you know. Uh, and they're, they're just going through their paces. And to show you how stupid, this is kind of like the ugly thing, thinking I was too ugly to be an actor. Here's what I thought I could do. I took a tape recorder and they have what's called a table reading. A table reading where everybody is sits around the table and reads the script for the very first time. So you got all the stars sitting there and the guest star who's me. And uh, Eugene Roach was also a guest star, character actor. And I take a tape recorder that I borrowed and I put it between me and Carol O'Connor who's sitting on the other side of the table from me as Archie Bunker. And we start reading the script and Carol O'Connor says, excuse me one second. And looks over at me and says, "What? What's that?" I said, "Oh, it's a it's a tape recorder." I figured I'd, I'd tape them like being real people, learning their lines. <laughs> it's like the Bunker family. And uh, I said, uh, "He said, what's that there for?" And I said, "Well, I have a hard time memorizing lines, so I thought I would record it, which makes no sense at all." And he just reached over and hit the stop button and said, we won't be needing that. <laughs> I went, oh, God, <laughs> help me. I had the same experience. <laughs> I had the same experience on my first show. I brought a pad, you know, because I'm from the method acting school, and I started writing things down, and Mary said to me, oh, you're not going to need that. These these words that you're saying now are not what you're going to be saying on Friday when we film. Right. This is, it's sort of like, you know, in the way that Saturday Night Live works, you know. If you, if you happen to be a guest on that show, they, they're up for two days, three o'clock in the morning, and changing everything. All the, and, uh, you know, when you don't know, you don't know. So. Yeah, new, new, new pages show up at your door by messenger service, like at 11 o'clock at night, after you've been on the set. So, and they're all colored, so you get green, and then you get yellow pages, then you get red pages, then you get blue pages. And so you never know what you're actually going to be saying from Monday to Friday when you shoot it. So trying to memorize lines is, is almost ridiculous because mm. the writers are constantly rewriting it. Right. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was weird. Well, I'll tell you, from an acting experience, I had to sit across from Carol O'Connor playing Archie Bunker, an arch-conservative who was totally for the government, totally for the war in Vietnam, all of that stuff. And he would look, when he found out that I was a draft dodger from the United States, Army, he said, yeah, are you telling me that you're a draft dodger from the, Ar the Army of the U.S. of A? And as I looked at him across that table, I could feel how much he hated me. <laughs> it scared me to death. Right down, I could feel my socks sweating because he is su was such a good actor that when he hated you as Archie Bunker, he hated you. You could feel it so palpably yeah. across the room. And it was all I could do just to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, because I had to stand up to Archie Bunker. Oh my God. I, I would terrible. say that um, my favorite 
series besides It's Your Move, which is very good, was doing the Betty White Show. Betty White oh, Show. That was a trip. It was like an e-ticket in Disneyland. It was mm. amazing. And I worked with her when she was on, I don't know if you're familiar with the shows because you're so young, but she was had this role, she played, what was her name? Mary, went on the Mary Tom Moore show. Sue Ann Nibbins, right. And she played the bitch, you know, to mm. Mary Tom Moore. And then when I did her series, she couldn't play that part because she was the lead. So I played that part. <laughs> she and Karen we got were, to be the bitch on the Betty White show. It was fantastic. And we <laughs> were friends afterwards, you know, I knew her for a while. And, you know, she lived as long. My, my mom died two days after Betty White died. And I mm. said to my brother, and she was 96 too. And I said to my brother, Mom's so competitive with Betty White. <laughs> oh, man. So there's been a lot of history and a lot of wonderful things. And I'm glad that in my life, I took some time off and did a whole other thing, which I found really interesting. And then when that was over, because I felt like I'd done everything that I could do in the psychology in the world, it was over. I just ended it. And then we moved out here. Yeah. Moved to Bend. Yeah. yeah which Where I, I could teach improv. <laughs> what's that? I'll tell you what's been amazing about teaching improv here is how good civilians are. Hmm. When they do this stuff down in Los Angeles, the people you're teaching are all young, hard bodies, you know, great looking guys and gals who want to get a pilot, want to get a series, want to get a manager, want to get an agent. Up here, they're, you know, moms and dads and lawyers and kids like you. <laughs> And, uh, you know, who just want to do improv. And I'll tell you, six weeks into the, into, or six uh, uh, classes into the show, these people were knocking out professional work. From the acclaimed director of Split, Unbreakable, and The Sixth Sense, comes a new Hollywood phenomenon. I'm happy we found the time to get out here. This will be good for us. With a whopping 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Why are you getting on me about this? I don't know. It was a free trip. Critics are calling it bold, remarkable, and unlike anything we've seen before. Wait, what's happening? Your skin looks soft. My skin? I haven't seen a dermatologist. Universal and M. Night Shyamalan present Young. Oh my god! There's Vaseline! There's Vaseline in the water! What do we do? I feel like I could eat and metabolize multiple burgers. What do we do? Who did this to us? What happens when an illegal medical facility enjoys the curious case of Benjamin Button too much. Don't you get it? We're gonna be babies. Babies! <laughs> I don't understand. It's like someone enjoyed Benjamin Button too much. I mean, it was good, but I don't know how they finished the movie. And you know they had to watch it multiple times. Yeah, yeah it's facts. I don't think they'd give us fucking baby cannoli arms if they hadn't. 
Young, only in theaters, July 9th. I mean, it's not like we can do anything about it. Well, we'll let the audience judge, which yeah. is better. Okay. Okay, I used to be in a folk music group way back in the days before time. And uh, we were doing a gig in New Jersey. We lived in New York at that time. And our warm-up act was Richard Pryor. Now, we were called the Vikings Three. That's how popular <laughs> our folk group was at that time. And we were more popular than Richard Pryor, so because we were the headliners. We went over to Jersey, and we got there about two or three hours early. And we said, uh, you know, okay, let's go get some lunch. And uh, he said, all right, that's a good idea. And he started walking the other way. I said, where are you going? He said, I, I can't eat lunch with you white guys here in Jersey. I said, that's total bullshit, Richard. <laughs> we all said... Let's go. And we went and had lunch with Richard, and everything was just fine. But uh, those were back in the days when you apparently in Jersey did not eat with your darker brethren. Mm. And uh, we weren't about to put up with that crap. Mm -hmm. Okay, your turn. Okay, I want to ask one thing. Um, yeah. What was the name of the movie that I did with him? Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's so many. <laughs> Something hero. Oh, some kind of some hero. Some kind of hero. Okay, so uh, I had just had a baby, Jessica, mm -hmm. and um, I was walking around Malibu where we lived, and I met up with Michael Pressman, who's from my neighborhood, mm -hmm. my hood, Forest Hills, Queens. <laughs> and uh, we were close, and I said to him, listen, is there anything in this movie that I can do? You know, I just gave birth to a baby, I'm a little chubbier than I was, but I would love to be in this movie. And he cast me, and I played a newscaster. And Richard Pryor was amazing in the movie that he had already had the experience where he lit himself on fire. Mm. And uh, they had a lot of scars. And we were working together, and he seemed really uh, interested in the fact that I was a, a mother because he didn't really have a relationship with his mother. I think he was brought up by his grandmother in a brothel. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was a, he was darling, and we did a lot of good scenes. And then I would go into my trailer, and he would come in, because he obviously almost died and was feeling remorseful and needed a mother type figure. And I said to him, "You know, Richard, you could save a lot of lives if you tell the truth about what really happened. You really." This pizza thing that lit on fire, it's not going to save any lives and you're not going to be of service to anybody. And within a few months, he did his act where the pipe was calling him in the other room. I don't know if you ever saw it, it's fantastic, mm -hmm. about being an addict and how the pipe is saying, Richard, come in here, I'll make you feel better. And that was the experience when he lit himself on fire and was you know, almost dead and burnt all over. Mm -hmm. So I don't take responsibility for it, but I do have a bit of glee when I think that he was so receptive. And had I not just had a baby, he probably wouldn't have even talked to me, but I reminded him of, you know, the Madonna, the usual thing. <laughs> so that's my Richard Pryor story. Yeah. So which one do you think was better? <laughs> I'm not, I have to be impartial, right? I don't want either of you walking out on me. Oh, okay. but, well, they're um, both about his conditions of life. We actually have it in common. True. 
yours was about him being a black man, and mine was about him being an addict. Mm. So yeah, and it's just like um, it's so cool to hear like accounts of him, right? Especially since um, I guess I'm probably I wasn't the generation that grew up getting to watch Richard Pryor. I discovered him very recently, maybe like a year ago. I've only seen one or two of his specials. So right. great, right. isn't he? So it's yeah, I just really love. Uh, yeah. Getting to rediscover, you know, a legend like that. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was he was a pretty incredible guy. One thing I also wanted to really touch on was uh, something that we missed last time was developing character, right? I wanted to talk about how uh, improvisers practice and how we take on like um, developing those archetypes, right? When somebody in the crowd is like, "Oh, play a stoner," right? Like, how do I come in and figure out what move motions to do? Like, how do I? Put on these are, you, are you trying to tell me you've never been stoned? <laughs> come on. Come on. Don't make me cut come, this part out. Come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah, right. okay. We're in a college. Never in denial. Let's leave it like that. Okay. Yeah, but just like, you know, how do we develop characters? Like, what does it look like for you guys? As well, you're guys? talking about improv characters. Yes. Uh, they apply to anything. You can find it through your physicality. Like, if you're doing a scene where you're frozen at a certain point. You could, you know, see it as a hump on your back and play a really old person or whatever, and you change your voice. That's a big thing. Your voice and your body just have to shift into this person that you don't, that's part of you, but that you don't really, you haven't really explored that. Mm. What do you think, Randy? Yeah, that and adding emotions to whatever you do. Uh, human beings are 98% emotions. Uh, and when you create a character, you have to imbibe yourself with certain emotional traits. And I, you know, I mean, just to simplify it, you know, joy, anger, hate, you know, all of those things. Uh, so that your character actually has character. Because emotions give, give you a character. Uh, if you're angry, you're different than when you're joyful. And that character of being angry being totally different than uh, the uh, the person who has joy, is feeling joy. Two different people, even in the same person. The way they look at the world, the way they react, the way they uh, handle themselves is different with every emotional choice you make as an actor. And you have to be uh, trustful of the person that you're working with. That whoever initiates the beginning of a scene, that's what you go with. I know that for me, I have a lot of voices, not in my head in a schizophrenic way, but in a, you know, like I have this old lady who talks like this, and she says things like, I used to be able to walk like you can, but when you're my age, you'll never be able to die. I'm sorry, I gotta go sleep. <laughs> and she was a woman who lived in our building in New York, mm -hmm. and literally we would walk out, you know, together or not, and she was leaving as well. And by the time we got home, you know, which was a couple of hours later, she had gone like three steps. Yeah, she was <laughs> still leaving. She's a fun character <laughs> yeah. to do. And, you know, I, I can do my mother, you know, from New York. I mean, she could have been on Seinfeld, you know. <laughs> and uh, I like changing up the voices, and then the the physicality sort of comes. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's legitimate, it's just for me, I feel that if I am playing Pearl, then all of a sudden my posture changes yeah. and all of that. So it's, that's a character trans Yeah, they're all elements, and if you don't have the experience, you know, like 
you and never being stoned, uh, what you do is you uh, you see movies of people who you know are Johnny Depp, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you see uh, television newsreels and those kind of things. You can get your characters from those too. I was thinking an exercise we had done in class was. Uh, just like to observe, like you said, go out there. Like um, I remember in the email you sent. Oh, me, like the homework. Yeah, in the email I got it said um, it's like go watch uh, your neighbor, your dad, your crazy uncle, right? Just see how they move. And recently, what I've been doing as a practice is I've been watching people's hands mm. because it's so interesting how people move their hands and what that means, right? Right. Absolutely. Like, uh, I met a guy recently the other day who, whenever he wanted to finish a point, he would point three times. To like emphasize it, he'd be like, and really? that's the way it is. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. he did. It was like unconscious. It was like, yeah. I don't even know when he developed that. So that's super interesting. It's it is. Fun, it's funny you said that. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's a good way to build a character when you see something like that. If you have somebody who does that three times, that's an uh, interesting character. I found out, and I'm doing it right now, even though nobody can see me. Hmm. Is I tend to hold my hands in, in a folded position a, a prayer. lot, mm -hmm. uh, and I've actually started noticing it because in the last class I did, I said, uh, "Okay, just imitate, some, you know, bring in somebody who you've seen and do it." And this guy, one of the students, walked around like this, and I said, "Okay, I thought he was doing a priest." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, this, I said, so who are you doing? He said, I was doing you. And I went, get out of here. <laughs> he said, no, no, you walk around like this. And I thought, you do. I'm going to hate this man and the also, rest of my life. <laughs> you do a lot of Jack Benny, too. You, mm. know, you remember. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, that a guy, I mean, I do do that a lot with my hands. And yeah. uh, I don't care, but I just never noticed it before. Mm. It's fun being the wife of all these years because I know all his mannerisms. Mm -hmm. So I know that if he's scratching his head, he's actually thinking about what he's going to say next. And sometimes he goes like this. <laughs> no, wait, no. <laughs> come on, let's Sorry. come on. Sorry. Yes. You're going to do it. Do right. it. And it's about, if you do this, this will work. <laughs> you know. <laughs> when I was uh, thinking, even with characters, um, about, you know that, you've heard this a hundred times, like you just bring one part up and you exaggerate it. Mm -hmm. And then I was listening to Mike Myers talk mm -hmm. on GQ about right. how he developed his characters. Right. And something he said he learned was to either give them a convulsion or an obsession. Wow. Like, not convulsion, sorry, compulsion. I bet. Compulsion. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, and I was wondering what you thought about that or if you thought that was a I, good one. I think if Mike Myers develops his characters like that, uh, he's done very well, and everybody should copy him. <laughs> and every, everybody can put their hands up to their lips. Um, well, he's, he's looking for comedic characters. Uh, I assume that if Mike was playing a serious character, mm -hmm. and not you know somebody crazy, or right. you know, the, those funny characters that he created, uh, he might find a different way to, to build a character based on something a little more internal right. uh, than kind of going for the joke. But he did follow that, that direction where he was doing his mother-in-law when mm -hmm. he was saying, okay, speak among yourself, I'm just too clamped, for, mm -hmm. for clamped you know? Mm -hmm. And he was doing his mother-in-law. Right. And then they got divorced and he 
couldn't do I think it was in the divorce papers. You cannot do my mother anymore. <laughs> but it was exactly that. He had this really interesting Jewish mother who, you know, loved Barbara Streisand and all of that stuff. And that that was really how he grew in popularity before he did the movies and everything. Do you yeah. remember any of that? Have you ever seen that? Well I've seen I've seen old bits and I've, I mean I know even like when I was a kid, like Shrek was huge, right? Right. So right. Um, I've definitely or, seen it. Or, or even Wayne's World. Well, yeah. yeah. I just watched Wayne's World. Yeah. Isn't time. it great? Yeah. yeah. So, but it's just you know two two stunner kids, you know. Yeah. And uh, there you go. You can. Well, there you go. Yeah, just copy Wayne. Copy him. Copy, copy Mike Myers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's great. He has his new show now. Yeah, something on Netflix or something. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little too deep for me. I don't mm. really get it but that means that I should watch it again uh, yeah. always I heard something about it and I, I wasn't sure what it was though yeah it was something in costumes and you know whatever but I think just like when I'm nervous about playing a role mm -hmm. when I have an abject feeling about something I know that it's it's affecting me in some way you know maybe it could just be oh I don't understand it but I don't go there you know right. and then I watch it again mm -hmm. at, like Mad Men um, I watched that many times because in the beginning I was just insulted by the mass, you know, the right. what is it called? Misogyny. Misogynistic characters, um, and then I watched it again. I loved it. Yeah, so. I've tried to. I have a rule with stand-up comedians that um, I have to watch someone at least three times before I say they're not for me. Uh huh. Because moods can really affect how you interpret if someone's funny or not. That's interesting. And I've That's come really back and I. I mean, there's so many comics that have come back and loved the third time. Wow. My, because my thinking is, if you're famous enough to have gotten a special with a big network, you're, there's something really funny about you. Right. And I want to see that. And if it's not for me, you know, maybe it should be for me. Maybe I can start right. pulling some of those things and right. building myself with that. So have you seen Adam Sandler three times yet? I have seen Adam Sandler. So he doesn't like Adam Sandler. You think he's funny? I love Adam Sandler. I love some of his characters. Um, he had this classic character on SNL. That was um, the Jewish guy. Well, that one too. That but one, yeah. what I'm thinking about, and this is he's probably the stupidest character I've ever seen, is he would come up on Weekend Update, and it was for Halloween costumes. I don't know if you remember this. He uh, he would be like, you know, I'm here to show you some Halloween costumes, and he put like a bag on his head, and he's like, oh, it was baghead man, <laughs> right? And he just like picked things up on the desk. It was like completely. There's and what about his opera? opera? That was yeah, really, yeah, that yeah, was great. So I was wondering, um, how does it differ for you guys when you're preparing for like a serious role? Like what? Is your mentality change from when you're, um, well, I know it's so instantaneous when someone's like, do this character, right? You really have to just process that and figure it out. And that's probably the gift of improv, right? You don't really have time to think. But So you're talking about in improv? Well, I'm just saying, like, how does it differ when you're um, uh, preparing for something comedic? For something I've never done a serious character in my life. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever been cast as a serious character. I never had to. I never. So I don't prepare, <laughs> I, I, but I better I've start done preparing. Serious characters and horror characters and all that, and I think and a lot of series work. And the thing that you have to remember is it has to be a part of you, hmm. so that you're familiar with it. It doesn't, you know. I mean, you you can go far from who you present yourself in the world, but there is dark sides in all of us, and it's. I love drama. I mean, I love comedy too. Uh, I love drama. I, I want to do uh, a one-woman show 
that Joan Didion wrote. I'd like to do it when I feel more comfortable in bed. And it's fairly dramatic. You can look her up later. Joan Didion is a fantastic <laughs> writer. And, and um, I don't even want to tell you because you're not going to know who these people are anyway. But it, it, it really touched me. Mm. And I don't feel that comfortable yet, mm. you know, doing such an explosive interest. It's about a woman who lost her husband and her daughter mm. in the same year. Yeah. And Joan Didion, I gotta say, you know, we got Richard Pryor. Joan Didion is one of the best writers in American literature. Really? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I definitely have a theory. Yeah, you, you'd like it. <laughs> Which I think, uh, Chick books, that's all I <laughs> No, she's been. <laughs> Not at all. I, um, kind of speaking to that, there's this trend right now in comedy of, uh, really mixing not just serious topics but having very serious moments in comedy. Oh yeah, what is that, that Australian New Zealand comedian? Uh, do you remember her name? I have no idea. Yeah. Well we watched it. Uh, I can't remember. Oh you mean that. Hannah? Yeah. Oh, Hannah uh, Gatsby? Yes. The right? Yes. And she brings up a lot of she uncovers a lot of stuff and she, you know she's fabulous to watch because she's Got a brilliant, you know, melody to her voice, right. but she touches on really dark experiences, and then you know, and she's not interested in being funny, mm -hmm. but the way she presents these terrible feelings of being gay in a in a country that just was unaccepting of all that, and it's great, you know, I, I love I love that. It's not like you're going for jokes or you're going for shock. You're mm -hmm. not doing that. You're uh, telling the truth. Yeah. Sometimes it's not funny. Right. I think it's been interesting because it's now like probably one in every three specials I watch, I'll cry at some point during mm -hmm. them. And it's like, uh, I don't know, it's just an interesting trend, right? Mm -hmm. it's, I think comedy's gotten a lot more deep over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. I, agree. I think that is true. And, and, and certainly much edgier. Mm. I mean, the Bill Burrs and the Ricky Gervais, right. you know, those people. Yeah, they're great. They go right to the edge and step just a little bit over it. <laughs> you go, oh boy, how long can this last? And they can do 20 minutes. And it's absolutely astounding. Yeah, I love Ricky, too. Yeah, they're I don't know him, but I call him Ricky. Yeah, I mean, he says things that are, you know, a callback from something that he said before. You know, like, he's a huge fan of Hitler. Uh, not the Hitler that was running Germany, but the cute baby that was Hitler. <laughs> he talks about this. Really, his latest he says, really, do so you funny. think you could time travel and you'd kill this baby? Yeah, he you shows would. a picture of baby Hitler. He says, really, you're going to kill this baby? Are you kidding? You're going to go, Gucci, Gucci, you know. And he has absolutely <laughs> Just, no self-consciousness right. at all. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing special. Um, anyway, did you hear, I don't know if you've seen or heard of Afterlife? The one he did? Oh, yeah. Loved oh, she every loves minute she of it. Yeah, I was like so surprised at the depth he brought to that. Yeah. yeah. It was like yeah. really, I, I really enjoyed it. Me too. I really, yeah, well, it's, it's also, it, it, it touches everybody. Yeah. The fear of losing someone mm -hmm. and all that. So, but he was great. Yeah. He's very brave. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what we have to be is brave and not worry about the reaction of the audience. Adjust it after you're finished to see, well, maybe I can tweak this or tweak that. But if you're going for something, go all out and do it. Yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so, I'm Jack, over here. How, what, are you feeling left <laughs> out? <laughs> because you don't watch Adam Sandler movies? Uh, <laughs> yes. It's 50, 
50 weddings, uh, I love that one. Oh, the uh, kisses, yeah. 50 first dates. Anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to couples therapy after this session. Yeah. We have an ambulance waiting to <laughs> Uh, one thing I uh, I keep saying that one thing I want to touch on that's uh, a little tick of mine I guess um, <laughs> because there's so many one things yeah, yeah. <laughs> many things always right. another thing to get yeah. right. um, in class you guys started to t- touch on um, some of the other cast me- members you worked on with War Babies mm-hmm. and I guess I would, I would love to have you guys go more into that experience you know of being that cast you mean oh the, uh, the original War Babies yeah. oh oh wow um uh, it's 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 hard to it's it's hard to talk about war. Everybody had a different career, and War Babies was actually a place that we would just call home. Uh, we had nine members, sometimes ten, and sometimes we do a show with five people because other people are doing pilots or they're doing movies or they're doing a TV show or something or series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I suppose besides Karen. In terms of uh, fame and fortune and and, and being uh, visible enough, uh, the second one would be Peter Riegert, who was in Animal House and um, kind of the Pickle Man movie, whatever that yeah, was called. Yeah, uh, Local hero, uh, yeah. all really good movies. Uh, they're all, all of them. Were, <laughs> there's one who's unfortunately uh, has passed away. Um, they're all still friends. You know, they all we all still talk we get back together again occasionally we, we uh, like we're here in Bend Oregon but sometimes we go down to LA and you know hang out with you know one or two of the of the group down there and um, it, it was a very integral family of people who would argue and uh, I hate I wouldn't use the word fight and heavy arguing uh, at times over creative things uh, so it was all tolerable, but we all knew exactly how to perform on stage because over the years you develop a group head mm. and you can totally do stuff that you can't imagine actually doing. Yeah. I mean, we did a, a, an opera where Archie and John are, are singing and they're stuttering drill sergeants because that's what the audience gave them. And you can see them singing and stuttering, and one of them would get stuck stuttering, and the other one would start continue the song, mm. and then he'd get stuck, and then the other one would, and they're not even looking at each other. Archie has his eyes closed, as a matter of fact, through most of the, that opening song wow. that they do, and he just knows when to do it and what John is doing with his eyes closed. And, you know, those kind of moments that you build for and that you actually perform really are astounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it, in terms of friends and the group and everything, I mean, they they're, have been our best friends for almost a half a century. Yeah, they wrote, oh, God, I'm so they wrote an interesting <laughs> song for our wedding. Uh, what is it called? Something or Shakespeare? Brush up on your brush up, which was the real song, and and I was six months pregnant when we got married. Um, I like to think that uh, I didn't want to do it the first trimester because I think you throw up. So I waited for the second. And and War Babies performed 
and sang a song about a shotgun wedding because I'm pregnant and all that. And at one point, all, you know, our, all our parents are you know, yeah. older friends right. are like that. And one time, the, the minister, which pissed me off because I said I wanted to judge, you know, since we came from different religious backgrounds, uh, they, they, he says, Is there anybody here who thinks that this couple should not be wed? All of the war of babies stood up, stood up and said, ten I've had her. Have you had her? Yeah, we've had her. Yeah. So it was so funny. Diseases. They all have diseases. Right. And, you know, it was our wedding. We paid for it. You know, we, we invited our parents. And uh, the minister was, you know, he, he comes up to us at one point and he's like drunk. And he says, you, you know. I don't think that I really was heard when I was trying to do the wedding thing. Do you think we could do it again? And I said, Rennie and I said, uh, no. Nope, show's over. Yeah, bye. <laughs> yeah. We're married. Bye. Here's your check. Take a walk. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> and what it was, was fun. Mm. I mean, it was fun all the time. We were like the parents because we were the only couple. We were the only actual couple. So we had both. Super Bowls, we had swimming on the 4th of July in our pool, and there was no competition because everybody had their own little slot that they could do. Mm. So there's nothing, I mean, it's hard to be doing this without them, but it's working out fine. Yeah. Yeah, well. yeah actually, the, the, the group here, we're doing uh, out of thin air the improv company uh, is doing theater improv based on what war babies did mm. and um, it's really interesting how, how good these civilians are yeah mm. you really know, good. these folks are not in show business they're not looking to make a pilot or make a movie or get an agent or you know they're just folks you know on different lumberjacks like, yeah. ranchers. Yeah. Things that people from New York know nothing about. Yeah, and um, yeah. they're really, they're pretty incredible. They're really good <laughs> and very uh, tight. Mm. You know, there's nobody that has an issue with somebody else. You know, it's and and the the freedom. I mean, War Babies was my passion. But the freedom of knowing that they're not looking to climb a ladder mm. to another element because this is the element that they right. want to be in takes a lot of the sting out of competition. There's yeah, yeah. a word called uh, compare and despair. Mm. It's two words, actually. And three, actually, it's three words, actually. Can't, can't fool her. Yeah, right. yeah. I have it written on my license. Yeah. Uh, and it's true. As soon as you start feeling competitive, if you don't get on the stage and know that your job is to make the other person look good, mm -hmm. and that's because you are building something together, yeah. And I, I really believe that we're getting to that place in, in this group. So it's nice. That's so wonderful. Yeah, a little deja vu. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys look for in your members? Like, so when you guys were um, putting together this group, um, I'm sure there's a little bit of stress with that, trying to find new people. Ooh. You know? Well, most, all of them are from the class. Hmm. Really? The yes. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Everything I teach... Who, who's listening to this? Bend, Oregon, right? Yeah, mostly some Portland. Some Portland? Okay. Hi, Portland. Well, hi, Portland. How you doing? Yeah. Um, they, uh, I just totally forgot what I was going to say. You were talking about your jacket and now it fits. No. Um, you, you were talking about these people in Bend, Oregon, that they come to your class because they're oh, interested. The, yeah, they're interested in doing it, and then they uh, end up being really good performers. 
and and they learned from the improv class that you went to, uh, and they when I actually discovered the fact that these civilians were actually doing stage-worthy stuff by the time they were finishing the workshops. I said, okay, here we go. <laughs> Let's put this together and see how this works. And it's turned out really well. Um, we're actually, when we open again, July 13th, open space, uh, July 19th, <laughs> open space, um, we will have two new faces uh, two new players, and uh, we will, as of right now, I believe, will have a pianist who is going to be really special, so that we're now going to be able to add music as an under undercurrent, as a foundation of some of the stuff we do, mm. and that's going to be a real adventure. Yeah, that's so wonderful. Oh, I'm telling you, it's going to. I've talked to this young lady, and she's really good. She and I are going to get together this week next week and practice making up musicals and making up operas and singing songs and how to have her music come into these set pieces the sketches that we already do and if it works out like she thinks she can and I'm hoping she can it's going to be really amazing yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really incredible it's a whole different element of improv where all of a sudden there's a piano player yeah. and she's just making it up with you and we're leading her, and she's leading us, and in, you know, not everything's going to be music, but we can inject a lot of music into a show that people will absolutely have their socks knocked off, including me. <laughs> Some of the best, uh, like funniest elements of the Clipsy show from War Babies had. Um, I'm not sure who uh, Pants was at the time, but. Yeah, the redhead. Yeah. Oh, Joyce Bramberg. I mean, she, she was, was a genius. genius. She was absolutely a genius. <laughs> and just profoundly wonderful and kind and all that. And when we would first come to the stage before we were the audience came in, she would play like jazz bits, and we would all sort We'd of all sing, sing together, and make up songs. Yeah, out she, of nowhere. We miss her a lot. Hmm. There aren't a lot of Joyces around. We're hoping that this other woman. Who feels very confident can yeah. be that too. Yeah, I really hope that works out for you guys. Yes, that thanks. would be fantastic. I'm telling you, it, it, it's based on what we used to do with War Babies. We can actually, because I'm changing the way we did it in War Babies, just by talking to this this young lady, that we're going to be able to integrate her into a show much more than we did with Joyce mm. with War Babies, uh, where there's constantly something happen. It is musical, as, as, as your life would be, mm -hmm. as you're walking down the street sort of singing, and all of a sudden you're singing a song. And yeah. a lot of the pieces you know that we do are set pieces from right. the, uh, improvs way back, and that's really easy, like Dentist. Mm -hmm. I mean, that'd be really easy to integrate some music into that yeah. while the woman is you know, going crazy in the dentist chair. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's we'll very see. Exciting. I think so. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's most of what we got. Um, just want to retouch on all the stuff you guys are where, doing right our, now. Where, where, where's our money? Don't you have the money? Um, I think I would have to get paid a little bit before. <laughs> <laughs> we have to pay another podcast person. <laughs> oh, oh, God, we're just podcasting. It's like a charity, these yeah. podcast people. I just did a podcast <laughs> yesterday yep. about women over 50 and how they... Um, <laughs> 
It, it's a comedy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's a feminist. <laughs> what? It's so funny. <laughs> the guy's trying to get off the air here. Oh, all right. Well, I'm just moving us in that direction. We're okay. We're all right. Podcast at all because it was completely different. It had nothing to do with show business, you know, yeah. to do with survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to Rennie, I don't have to worry about my funeral because that podcast can be spoken at my funeral. <laughs> That's so cool. Pretty cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you were trying yeah, to get off the air. I just want one more time to touch on uh, the class and when you guys are opening again at Open Space. Ah, okay. Um, the class starts July uh, 6th, I believe. Um, you can go to uh, rennytemple.com and it's got all the in- information on that. That's R-E-N-N-Y-T-E-M-P-L-E.com. Uh, and that's got information on both the Out of Thin Air uh, performance group and uh, Improv for Life, which is the class workshop, uh, are all on there. Um, so we do, uh, I believe July 19th is our first uh, open space uh, show. And it's on a Tuesday. All the shows are on Tuesday except one, but the dates are listed. And um, it's like every other Tuesday. And they're really great. We're playing in open space now, which is the old Second Street Theater. And uh, we've, we've actually played the place before, and it's really a fun place to play. And it's really fun for people to sit around at tables and throw stuff at us to perform. And uh, it's going to be really good. And the class is right in that same time zone. And it's in the same building. And, in the, and it's in actually yeah, an open so space. So it's not the anymore. No, which we don't read anyway, so it wasn't mm. a problem. But we, once we got into open space again, mm. then they offered a different room for us to rehearse in. And the libraries have been fantastic. It's really mm. been great. This this is going back to another familiar place. And right. I can't help to uh, want to say that the Cascades Theater has been fantastic to us. And it gave us so much freedom and all that. We just switch it around a little bit. We'll probably be back there again too. Yeah, yeah. I, there's only two or three, <laughs> literally two or three places in them to play because we don't do bars. Hmm. We're not interested in comedy clubs. Uh, we're interested in theater. Yeah. And this is uh, out of thin air as a uh, improvisational theater company. And uh, we do it in a theatrical way. And it's great to have open space, which has the setup to do that. And of course, the Cascades, which is actually a real live theater. Um, they're both going to be, if we can, you know, basically we're, we're still new to the town. You know, we haven't even been performing for a year yet hmm. because we're doing every other Tuesday. So, you know, we do like, you know, five shows a year. <laughs> no, we do, we do more than that. Uh, but I hope people come. I hope they come and, and see. They can certainly join the class and see how much fun that is. Uh, or go to runnytemple.com and see the whole information is all right there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Really thank you. Thank you for having and, us. And don't let anybody else tell you. You're a funny guy. Well, well, I'm thank you. Guy. I appreciate you. We're big, big fans. <laughs> Thanks. That was Rennie Temple and Karen Kay. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to them, getting to know them. They've been super good to me. Um, Their improv group, Out of Thin Air, is going to start performing again on the 19th at Open Space Studios. They'll perform every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. 
You can buy tickets from rennytemple.com or openspace.studio for $10 or at the door for $15. Offscript Liam Gibbler is a broadside podcast. For Central Oregon news, events, and satire, you can visit thebroadsideonline.com. Special thanks to Lily Rap McCullough for funding, Tristan Hackbart for sound editing, and to Lena Hildrich, Abby Wisniewski, Vivian Chong, and El Rapido himself, Julian Alderbrinius Mages, for lending their voices for the commercial. Hopefully, we'll have a new episode soon. Uh, but I've learned my lesson about giving exact dates after our second COVID delay. Just, uh, just know that sometime, somewhere, in a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity, I'll release my interview with Mo Schulte. Okay, thanks for listening. <laughs>